since the bonus two-man game inside. Thomas dominant. Dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid. And he got some dog in. And the steal. They can tie it with a three. Murray. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and we are here the day after the 2023 NBA Draft. Uh, Kings made a couple moves, including two picks, and their highest pick, sitting at 34, was Colby Jones. I brought on a draft expert today, Stone Hansen, co-host of the Upside Swings pod, one of my favorite pods this time of year. Um, and I know that you're a decent fan of Colby Stone, so um, first of all, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Of course, and I, I guess before we get into Kobe, since I haven't talked about, I mean, the meat and potatoes of this episode, we'll, we'll be talking about Kobe, obviously. Um, but just want to acknowledge the Kings trading 24 and Rashawn Holmes to to Dallas to clear cap space. And I don't know the exact numbers, but they went from somewhere around 20 million to more like 33 million in cap space. I, I think they're the only real... Uh, team that is in spots to maybe threaten a run in the postseason um, that has cap space. The other teams are, are totally just kind of at the bottom of the league when it comes to projections for next year. Um, but do you have any thoughts on just the opportunity cost of using 24 to to clear cap space? Because they, they made a lot of room, but you know, even the guy that Dallas ended up taking there, Olivier Maxens Prosper, somebody that, for example, would have made a lot of sense in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense for sure. If you are, you think uh, some guys that you like are going to be there, right? Like if you have 38 and you had Colby pretty high up on your board or somebody like Max Lewis was there, like, I think those guys make a lot of sense. And if you felt confident that you were going to be there with your pick, then I think this is pretty good process because I think now you wind up where you can give, you know, hefty money to someone uh, in free agency and, and outbid a lot of people that, that aren't going to have that sort of uh, financial flexibility. So um, I actually quite like it because uh, I felt like and this draft is really wild in terms of where I had guys and, and where they ended up going. Um, and I think that if you uh, look at it from the perspective of how flat it was, um, this makes a lot of sense. I'm with you. And I'd imagine that, you know, there were probably some guys this doesn't happen until the time of the pick because not only does Dallas want to make sure that their guy's there, I'm sure, or one of their guys, maybe it's not just one, um, but also maybe Sacramento was waiting to see if somebody was going to make it there. And you know, there's a decent chance that Chris Murray going at 23, if that doesn't happen, that maybe you're talking about a different situation at 24. Um, but I think it's a good move for Sacramento. And then they end up moving up to 34 from 38. They included a future second rounder, um, I didn't see clarification exactly on what second rounder that is, but they have a lot of future seconds um, from other teams as well. And Colby Jones, the guy that had a late first, early second valuation for a lot of people. Um, I think you had him a little bit higher than that, but just to go through basic measurements, combine measurements, six, four and a half without shoes. So about six, six with shoes, um, six, eight wingspan, 21 years old. He's just completed his junior year at Xavier. Um, and a guy that does a little bit of everything, you know, 15 points, 5.7 boards, 4.4 assists. You got 1.3 steals in there, um, even the 0.6 blocks for a guy that's not that big um, and, and efficient. 
you know, 50% from the field, 37.8% from three. And we'll get more into the specifics of all this, obviously. And there's the 65.3% from the free throw line. Um, but, you know, I kind of wanted to start with more of a general, how did you feel about Colby's value going into the draft? We'll get into the specifics of him as a player, but sort of where did you have him ranked and expect the sort of range for him on draft night? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was a little bit higher, I think, than a lot of people. I had him at 20 on my board. So somebody that I thought, you know, was worth uh, a fairly high first round pick, uh, I guess, middle of the first round, you would say. But um, I, I think most people had him, you know, from maybe like that 25 to 35 kind of range. Um, I think that's where uh, most people expected him to go. And that's where I expected him to go. And I, I didn't think he would go top 20. But um, for to have him fall to 38, I think is is really solid value um, for the type of player that Colby is, and I think that um, I, I, a lot of stuff didn't go as expected last night for me in terms of where ranges were for guys that were expected and and where where they ended up uh, being taken. So I think um, Colby was definitely one of those type of guys. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Sacramento really liked him. If you're sitting there at 38, you move up a couple spots. I would imagine it's specifically with with Colby in mind. Um, and a guy that does a little bit of everything. Um, but I think what I want to start with, because it also goes with a question that I got to ask McNair yesterday and kind of can start with his thoughts on Colby. But um, there's a lot of things he does well, but the, I think the three-point shot is um, a little bit of a question when you look at compared to years prior, right? There's that 37.8% on three this year um, that was on 3.3 a game, but you go back last year, 29.2% on three on two a game. Uh, freshman year, 33% on 1.8 a game. And if you look at catch and shoot numbers, you know, last year, 43%, year prior, 32.3, freshman year, 346 um, and there is the free throw numbers where he's a career throughout his three years, 67.9% from three. Um, we can start with me. I, I kind of, the first thing I asked McNair was um, where, what is your, where do you get the confidence and the belief that the shooting is real for Colby? Um, and then kind of asked a little bit about his versatility. So we'll start with what McNair says here. And then I want to get your thoughts stone. Um, but I also want to say real quick, anybody on the audio side, I will level out the audio. So it sounds fine. But if you're on the video side, this McNair audio might be a little quiet. And right after I asked the second question, there's a little bit of a screech from a mic. So I'm just giving a little bit of a headphone warning. But uh, here is McNair on, on Kobe's shooting and then some of his versatility. Hey, Monty, uh, two questions for you regarding Kobe. Just to start, you know, a guy that shot a lot better from three this year than years prior and, and not the best uh, free throw numbers. So what, what gives you confidence that the three-point shooting, shooting you saw this year is real with Kobe? It's you know, we, our, our scouts do a great job of, uh, and I mentioned Greg and others who do a bunch of intel work, but Kobe's work ethic and, um, you know, the, the person that he is, his character, those are the types of things that we like to see for guys as they improve throughout college and that they'll continue to improve uh, when they get into our, our situation. Um, but it's all the other stuff that Kobe does, too. Um, he's got he's got great touch. Um, the shot improved, obviously, this year, but um, that he can get in there and make a play with a pass an offensive rebound on the offensive end that defensively uh, can guard, you know, up and down, uh, you know, probably not, not, not a lot of centers, but um, you know, he's strong, he's big and um, you know, he's going to be very versatile on that end as well. But um, you know, obviously the shooting is, is a, a big part of the NBA these days. And uh, we'd like to see the growth that he's shown. 
And how much do you value that versatility that he supplies on both ends, you know, playing on and off the ball on, on both sides of the floor? And how important is that as a connecting piece? Yeah, we've got, uh, as you know, we got two two All-NBA guys uh, that, we, that we're building around. And um, so guys that can help them on both ends of the floor. Um, they're they're going to do, Domas and, and Foxy are going to do a lot of the heavy lifting for us on the offensive end. But guys that can be connecting pieces, guys that can finish plays, uh, guys that can make the intermediate play, the hockey pass, um, especially with the offense that Coach Brown and Coach Triano have. Um, we just want we want high IQ guys that can come in here and just figure out a way to contribute no matter who they're on the floor with. Yeah, Stone, I'll leave it pretty open-ended to you after that. Like, What, what stands out to you from Monty's thoughts on Kobe? Um, I think he, at the end there especially, just really identified what the – idealistic role for Kobe is which is being that sort of connective piece that that is just a glue guy that keeps everything flowing and and going really smoothly Um, I think the Kings have a lot of obviously like shooters off ball and I think they have a lot of guys that can kind of make those plays but I think Kobe uh, in specific is is someone that probably isn't as strong a shooter as you know the rest of you guys that you have with uh, Malik and, and Herter um, but I think that he is somebody that can be a bit more consistent in, in terms of the like crispness and quickness of the reads that he makes as a connective passer. And I think uh, that's an important role that he can fill. And I think that he's a really solid finisher too, um, which we can get into. But I think, yeah, ultimately I think um, that's, that's really the idealistic role. And I, that's a cool to see that, you know, McNair already has that sort of um, vision for him uh, in terms of what he can provide for the Kings. Yeah, you talked a little earlier in that presser about how kind of when, you know, his personal evaluation and scouts evaluations, how how this guy is as a person happens to line up with a lot of his his metrics that, you know, it makes it an easy decision. And Kobe was one of those guys. Um, we talked about three point shooting, which it, it seems like a lot of people believe in. But I like I think there is some questions there um, outside of that, though, like when it comes, I, I think there's potential here for a three level three level play finisher. Not a guy that's necessarily creating on three levels, but there's that three-point shooting that we mentioned. Um, there's a great floater. Um, his synergy has his number of 54.3% on 77 attempts throughout the course of this year. His touch at the rim that, that you mentioned and, and Monty mentioned there as well, um, at the rim for synergy, 62.2%. I think it's pretty cliche with a maybe white dude that's not the most athletic, but he's crafty around the rim in like, I think creative in finding angles, you know, different things of like same foot, same hand, or just leaning a little bit of a different way to get an interesting angle. Or if he has to go um, with a high floater, or if he needs to sneak it around somebody, I I think he does that well. But um, what what do you think of yeah, Kobe as that three level play finisher? Yeah. um, I think that's definitely what he's best at. Um, like I think that playing him more as a wing or like an undersized wing, I guess, or not even undersized because he's like six five, six six. Nowadays, that's fine for small forwards. But um, I think it could be like yeah, a shooting guard, a small forward, somebody that is finishing those plays is able to. I really like how he's able to finish with either hand and attack from either side. Like that's something I really look at with finishers, and I think like when you take for example someone like Kobe Bufkin, who I, I really like, but um, he's very left-handed predominant in terms of, you know, where he's attacking from. Uh, Colby's very comfortable with both sides. Like if he's coming from the left, coming from the right, finishing with his right or left, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you mentioned that touch. 
that's what I'm relying more upon in terms of the, the outcome of shooting. And I don't think he's going to be a particularly versatile shooter by any means. He's not going to be, um, you know, coming off of screens a whole lot or, or doing that sort of thing, drifting in either way. You have other guys that can fill that sort of role. Um, but I think that Colby, I, I project him to be a pretty serviceable spot up guy. Uh, probably not like super high volume, but um, I think he's somebody that, you can feel fairly confident about to hit an open spot up. And I think that's um, what you really need from someone that's going to be in that sort of connective role. Uh, and I think that he, he can be able to provide that at the least. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, just hitting those spot ups or recognizing when defenses are overplaying you, cutting back door and finishing, or just being able to attack closeouts. Uh, I think that's all there. Like you kind of mentioned some of the playmaking that I think is really intriguing. Um and it, it seems to me like a little bit as more of a connective guy rather than somebody you really want initiating your offense. And obviously that's not what Sacramento would be asking him to do with the Aaron and Domas out there. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a thought that maybe if one of those guys is sitting, what level of responsibility can you give Colby? Um, and you guys on upside swings had a good conversation about Colby's passing. I think it seemed to be something that was a little bit, um, you, you guys had some healthy disagreements, but where are you at with, Colby as as a playmaker um I think where I come down on is like his burst is very average like coming off of dribble moves his handle is very average like it's nothing it's not bad by any means but neither of those really stand out at any point and I think against more athletic defenders he's going to struggle probably a bit in that regard um but I think his passing reads are so quick like he's a very fast processor that I think if there's any sort of advantage for somebody else, he can make that pass. I just don't know if he's necessarily creating the advantage to do that, right? Like he's probably not someone that's taking somebody off the dribble consistently and able to draw in help defenders for himself. I think he's more somebody that is within like a, a schemed uh, quick offense, which obviously um, the Kings can do. He, he's able to, you know, attack, be like a second side attacker. And because he's so quick at making reads, uh, can really be like a secondary playmaker rather than your primary. Um, I do think, you know, against depending on defenders, there's a chance he could be like a pinch point guard as a backup where um, if he's going against, you know, some smaller guys or uh, guys that aren't super quick, um, he might be able to be uh, usable in that sort of regard as a backup point guard. But I think uh, for the most part, like idealistically, you want him more as a, a secondary playmaker. Which is all that really Sacramento needs, especially and you know, of course, important to keep in mind throughout the course of this conversation. We're talking about an early second rounder. There's a lot of things that need to click. There's going to be an adjustment to the NBA. Um, I do think he's a guy that could potentially come in and, and make an impact pretty quickly, but that's obviously uh, far from a guarantee. And when it comes to that playmaking you talked about, I, I kind of viewed it as like somebody that will keep the advantage, but isn't really creating it, right? And, and you have De'Aaron and Domas to be the ones that create it. And then Kobe either finishes or is able to make that next pass and sort of maintain that advantage onto the next guy. Um, I, I think that that playmaking is interesting. There's there's some skip passes in there and just sort of some creative things um, that that had stood out to me. And I meant to ask you this a little bit earlier, but is Kobe somebody that was like on people's radars in in years prior? Um, I think last year a little bit he picked up um, some uh, steam within like you know probably more niche draft radars than, than the general public. But um, I mean this is obviously like the the breakout year. I think some people coming into the season expected it too, like just with Xavier's roster and, and how they were set up. 
um, and Justin Moore coming in missing time. Like I think people just expected him to take on a bigger role, and obviously he did. Uh, I um, I think that he's somebody that like people people knew this was coming, but probably not to the extent it was coming. I didn't I didn't see it, but um, he's somebody that I think is going to. I'm not really concerned about a lot of people have concerns where like upperclassmen break out out of nowhere seemingly. Right. And it's like, where was this before sort of a thing? I think Colby's always been this player. I just think this year he had the role to, to do it a lot more at a bigger volume. And I think that's what helped people uh, take notice. NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan. Even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. Yeah, and from what I saw, Xavier, like, you know, it's kind of split between being the initiator or, or being the guy off ball um, and playing both is is obviously valuable. Having that sort of um, versatility j- just seems like a smart guy. It's something that um, Monty pointed out, and you can see in the players that they've targeted in years prior like it's it's a lot of high iq guys high character guys um there was a big emphasis on just having a healthy locker room last year and uh smart players with their where free their free-flowing offense and and xavier's offense was at least from what i saw i I don't watch a crazy amount of college basketball outside of like looking for prospects um but i thought they had a really smooth looking offense that looked similar to um, what a lot of NBA teams run in Sacramento, a big that is a somewhat decent passer there as well. Um, so I, I think it's pretty easy to watch some of Kobe Jones film from this year and like see the the direct correlation on, on how that would work offensively um, to, to sort of put a bow on the offensive conversation. Um, do you expect that he can make an impact uh, fairly quickly on that end of the floor or what sort of like growing pains would you predict? Um, yeah, I mean, I always take this standpoint of outside of like the very top guys in the draft, you probably don't want to rely necessarily on your rookie uh, being like a high impact guy from, you know, day one or, or even year one a lot of the times. But uh, I think in Colby's case, I mean, he, he can be someone that provides value fairly quickly. Um, you mentioned the shooting earlier. I think there's probably going to be ups and downs throughout the season with it. I don't think it's going to be a consistent thing. That's probably something that lasts throughout like the majority of his career, if I had to guess. Like it's just um, he's not going to be like a complete sniper, but um, I think he's going to be someone that's pretty serviceable um, on spot ups. Um, I, I think that you know when he comes in, um, 
they seem to have the role figured out in terms of what they want to give him and what how they want to use him, and I think that makes a big difference. They have a plan for him. They they know what he wants, uh, what they want him to fill, uh, and I think he can execute that if he's playing, you know, twelve minutes a night uh, in, on your bench, coming off the bench, uh, and and you know maybe some spot starts here and there. I think it can do that, and as the season goes on, you know maybe some guys get more rest and they give him more reps in, in that sort of way. But um, I think that he's someone I, I feel fairly confident uh, on the offensive end that he can come in and be outside of the shooting. Like I said, it's going to be a little inconsistent, but for the most part, be pretty consistent as a player. And I just want to rectify really quick. I know I said Justin Moore earlier. I'm getting my biggest teams mixed up because I'm super tired, but he was not on uh, <laughs> he was not on Xavier's on Villanova. I just want to for all your um, listeners so they don't know I'm an idiot. I'm I'm just really tired. You're good. This is the time of year that uh, tiredness is expected, so absolutely forgivable. No worries there. Um, and just to kind of echo what you said, like it's going to sound like I mean, Kobe Jones, is the guy I really liked prior to the process or prior to the draft. Um, and so it's going to sound like I'm like saying that they just drafted a, a guy that's instantly going to fill into the rotation. Um, and I'm certainly not expecting that. It's unrealistic expect unrealistic expectation for anybody really at this point in the draft. Um, but there's the potential, and it, and I think the benefit of this conversation is just get the idea of what he's good at. But that doesn't necessarily mean all that is going to translate to the next level. Um, so kind of all you know, t- TBD there to see how each individual translates their game at the next level that has a lot of differences. Um, and, and I guess the last thing on offense that also correlates to the defensive side of the ball is the rebounding. I think after he got drafted, one of the guys on, on the broadcast mentioned like uh, Josh Hart, right, which is probably where this comparison comes from. So, or I, I think of like a Dante DiVincenzo a little bit when I see some of Kobe Jones. Um, but what stands out to you with the rebounding? Is it just like physicality and effort, willingness, or, or what stands out to you? Because it is a guy that makes an impact on both sides of the floor in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that he's going to be someone that's a solid rebounder. Like, he's timing a lot of stuff well. Uh, you already mentioned, like, he's a really smart player. I think that's applicable in so many different areas of Colby. That's why I like him so much. I tend to have a sort of weakness for those guys in the draft. And I think um, with Colby, it shows up in his rebounding in the way that, um, I mean, he's not the best athlete, right? He's not a poor athlete, but he's not, like, any sort of crazy athlete. Um a lot of it's just timing. Like I think he's opportunistic in his rebounds. He sees like, uh, you know, this guy's not all the way set. He's not all the way boxing out. Uh, let me cut in real quick and, and grab that board. And I think that that's something Colby's really good at. He's not necessarily like the Brandon Podziemskis of this class where he's, you know, after every single board running in there to grab it and, and has that sort of just insane motor. But I think, um, and that's not saying his, his motor is bad by any means, but he's just more opportunistic, I think. He's smart in the way that he knows, you know, this is a board I probably can get and I'm going to expend energy on trying to get. And I think that's where a lot of the smarts come from with him. Yeah, doing a little bit of everything definitely has has some value as long as you can um, productively do so. And moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, Again, I think measurements obviously play a big impact defensively. Six four and a half, six eight wingspan. That's six four and a half without shoes. Um, but starting with sort of him just on ball defense. Um, from what I saw, like I, I thought that he was pretty good at navigating through screens. It, it's a lot of again just being a smart player, right? Like all the fundamental stuff. I, I thought he was really good at 
um, navigating, navigating screens. I think that recognizing the moment maybe to veer off the ball handler and go back into the big is something that he was pretty good at. Um, and the physicality is there with decent size. Like, what do you, what do you make of his um, on-ball defense? And how many positions could that potentially stretch through? Um, McNair yesterday kind of, you know, said he thinks he's a guy that can guard a lot of positions. He's like, well, maybe not the five, which you know, kind of flirts with he thinks one to four. But of course, Monty's going to talk up his guy that he just drafted. <laughs> um, where, where are you at with on-ball defense switchability? Um, I think for the majority of the league, just, you know, obviously like these days, ones and twos are kind of inter- interchangeable, but how we traditionally view like a, a two guard, um, is probably in that more traditional sense of like a, you know, six, four guy that's more as a play, uh, play finisher rather than a playmaker. Like I think Colby is, is best probably guarding those sort of guys. I think there's room for him to guard three some threes and some ones i'm not comfortable saying like you know one through three um as a blanket statement but i think that uh in certain aspects and certain matchups like i think he can hold his own in some of those uh matchups and i think uh his on-ball defense is really good like i think he's not a lockdown guy he's not going to be you know putting guys through the ringer every single time they're coming down the floor but i think he's somebody that can hold his own hold the line um, you mentioned the screen navigation. I think that's a strength of his. I also, one of my favorite aspects of his defense is just the shot contests. Like I think he's somebody that is not putting all his momentum into a shot contest so that, you know, if it, if that guy ends up being like a pump fake or something, he's still in the play. He's not getting blown by afterwards. Um, and then he's not like overly hesitant either. He's not just barely, you know, going up and, and giving like a half effort uh, in terms of putting his, uh, arms up so I think he's somebody that against like less like super bursty guards can probably hold his own uh, for point guards and I think uh, against some wings that are you know maybe not like the strongest ball handlers um, he can probably hold his own on that regard too he's he's long like you said he is fairly strong like McNair said too so I think that allows for some versatility uh, but probably I would say fours and fives are a little bit um, out of reach from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, makes sense with um, size considered. I mean, definitely somebody that's going to fight and try. It's just, I don't know if that's the most realistic. Um, and I think the question from Sacramento's standpoint specifically is like, if, you know, it, it's a team that for, I think, a good reason, a lot of people thought of like three fours more so in this spot, um, not necessarily at 34, 38, but more of like talking 24, just what the big need is on this roster currently. Um, and I think sort of the follow-up question on on Kobe's defense um, defensive position is that like, you know, can you run De'Aaron Fox, Kobe Jones, and Kevin Herter? Um, I think there's some lineups where you probably can, but th- th- I think there's like questions there, right? Or or if you replace either one of Kevin Kevin Herter and Malik Monk are interchangeable, and say De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell are interchangeable, like any combination of three of those um, five guys there. I don't know that you have the most ideal amount of size. Um, and I, I still think that's something you can play with, but it's one of those like um, 
you know, this is a team that made their living on the offensive end and wasn't very great on defense. And I've said it a lot, but I'm a big believer of like, don't work so hard to cover up your defenses that you lose your strengths in the process, which is part of this conversation. Um, but when you hear those sort of size lineups, um, am, am I crazy thinking those sound just a little small? No, like I think you're right. Where against a lot of teams, it's going to be probably a bit undersized. Um, and, you know, if you are playing those sort of lineups, you probably want somebody that is going to be like a help side rim protector because a lot of guys are probably going to try and take them to the paint, take them in the post, and, and try and, you know, use those size advantages to their um, to their advantage. So I think you, you are going to want to make sure that you're playing them with the right personnel behind them. I think there's some matchups where it could work. Um, it's probably not idealistic. I think for the most part, you probably want Colby as your two. Uh, and that's not to say he can't play the one or three. And I think he can play the three, but it really depends who your one and two would be. But as you're sort of alluding to, um, they're not necessarily like the biggest guys to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a little bit of question there, but also uh, if you're playing a lineup where you have Colby at the two and you could put, Keegan at the three a little bit like I think there's there's some uh, versatility in that sense uh, it's really going to be I think a lot of just matchup dependent though ultimately like if you're playing against a high pace team you want to keep that pace going and keep your offense flowing like it was last year um, it could make some sense to, to play a Colby at the three and, and keep doing that so um, yeah it's, a, it's a, a little bit of questionable for sure yeah it makes sense I, I mean I think that to your point, like if you can get Keegan at the three and then that cap space you just created, I think the, in my mind, the idea is you try and go get a three, four, another wing forward to fill that. Um, and then maybe Kobe Jones is your sort of middle ground option between like, you know, Malik and Her Kevin Herter and Malik Monk have their things they do differently. And Kobe Jones could provide you a different look um, in that spot here and there. When it comes to, to off ball defense, um, definitely a guy that is, is disruptive. And again, this is where just being a smart player comes in. You see it on both ends of the floor. Um, but what stands out to you most with um, some of his off ball playmaking and impact defensively or, or any shortcomings that come to mind? Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest strength for me in regards to Colby's off ball defense is just how rotationally sound he is. Uh, again, that's, it's going to sound like a broken record a little bit, but that's like just part of the smarts with him as a basketball player. Like he's just really savvy and knowing where he needs to position himself on the court. I think it's going to be a pretty rare instance where he's just like not where he needs to be on the court. Um, and I think that's something that's really valuable, right? If you always have somebody that um, knows where they need to be, knows positionally, um, I need to make this rotation. Um that helps and, and you're not giving up any sort of liability or, or creating any sort of openings. Um, I think the other aspect too is you mentioned how long he is. I think he does use that a, a little bit in terms of he, he sees things rotationally really quick. So he's also able to use that wingspan to disrupt some passes. Uh, and he's not super gambly, which is great, right? Like if he's not, he's not really jumping in for this, cross court sort of steal to, to go all the way in and giving up a five on four advantage. He's timing them. Well, he's, he, he knows exactly, you know, he's not the quickest, but he knows I, I can make this sort of steal. I can 
be in this position quick enough before the defense can react. So I like that about him. Uh, I think that he's not going to be like a, a crazy, like havoc creator probably, but he is going to be someone that can occasionally, you know, disrupt a pass deflect some stuff. Um, and I think rotationally is always going to be sound. So I really like that. I probably like him more as an off ball defender than I do on ball, to be honest. Yeah, um, I, I think the biggest thing is kind of what we mentioned with Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, and then Kobe Jones being the other aspect of this. And and you could throw Davion Mitchell in there too. Um, I think everybody but Kobe Jones in there really plays one side of the ball. Um, and it's not that the other guys don't have their moments where they make an impact, but Kobe's the one that I think can have a positive impact on both ends of the floor. And, um, you know, Obviously, that he's not having the same defensive impact as Davion. He's not having the same offensive impact as as Malik or Kevin Herter. Um, but there's a middle ground there where you can get a little bit of both potentially here. Um, there, there's three two-way spots going into next year. I'd imagine that Keon Ellis is one of Sacramento's. He's a restricted free agent. I would think Demias Keda. Um, I think the time of two ways is is done in my mind. It's either main roster spot or um, maybe ends up going somewhere else. And then maybe J- Jalen Swanson, uh, Slauson, sorry. Um, I accidentally always almost say Swanson, Ron Swanson, or Slamson, the Kings mascot. I um, really struggled with Slauson recently, but uh, it's a word. We always just refer him to Slawman on the there. Upside Swings podcast. Fair just enough. makes it easier. Or like Coleslaw, something. I, I might have to adopt that one. Um, but do, do you think that Kobe is a guy that would – in your mind, benefit from from being on a two-way and getting reps in G League? Or do you think being one of these more so well-rounded, complimentary guys, it would be best to you know spend time with the main squad? And even if that only means you're getting reps here and there, you're still getting in practice minutes and and some uh, familiarity with, with the main squad. Do you have any opinions on two-way or, or main roster spot? Um. He, I mean, I had him top 20 on my board, so it's hard for me to say, you know, I view him more as like a two-way guy. Um, but that aside, like just looking at it from a Kings perspective, I think he is someone that can come in and, and help you. Um, you know, maybe that's as the 10th man even to begin the season. But um, I think, you know, being with the team and he's not somebody that probably needs a whole lot of G League reps. You know, he's not coming in super unpolished in a lot of different areas. Um, so I'd would give him a, a full contract with the team. I think he's um, the sort of player that can live up to that throughout the season, even if it's in sparing minutes. I like the idea. Um, and I, I want to get to put out something on Twitter, kind of getting some Q and A's from listeners and what they want to know about Kobe. And I'll start with from uh, Cooper here, Coop, Coop Giants 2013. Uh, will Kobe be a TD replacement? Talking about Terrence Davis and what would we expect his minutes per game to be this year? Um, I, I think obviously very big difference um, stylistically in players, but I think the role that Terrence da- Davis had this year as the fifth guard on the team, um, he played 800 minutes last year, actually. He was played in 64 games, which I never would have thought he actually played in 64 games. Um, but a guy that I, I think is, again, your fifth guard and gives you a little bit of a different look. And maybe some of your other guys aren't getting it done. There were games last year where um, Coach Mike Brown is definitely one where if the starting guys aren't getting it done, that he's going to go to the bench, sometimes just to prove a point to the starters rather than the bench maybe necessarily being a better option. 
Um, but I, I think like fifth guard in the role that Terrence Davis was in, and he's a free agent, wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere else. Um, sounds like a realistic sort of spot. You're not relying on him too much, but maybe he gets opportunity here and there. Um, what, what do you think of that idea? Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're they're very different in terms of who they are as players, but I think in terms of the sort of like just a role they can be in, uh, I think it makes some sense. Uh, maybe even their responsibilities are a little bit different, right? Just because they have different skill sets. But I think uh, being that fifth guard and, and being somebody that can play you spot minutes here and there, um, I mean, you can't rely on your other four guards playing 82 games each, right? You're, you're going to have some nights where you have to slot him in and, and be – your fourth guard, maybe even your third guard some nights, uh, you know, worst case scenario, hopefully. So uh, there, there's going to be opportunity, I think, for him to get bigger minutes if if they need it. And I think in those sort of moments, you feel comfortable with it. He's the sort of guy that you're like, uh, he's not like, oh, great, we have to play, you know, Colby instead of uh, Davion or Herder tonight, and we're going to probably lose. Like, I, I don't think that's really how you're going to view Colby. And I think he's going to be someone that can provide and, and live up to his role. He's not going to be making a ton of crazy plays or anything, but in that sort of average, you know, eight to 10 minutes a night. And then if you need to bump it up some nights, uh, I, I would feel comfortable with that. Next one we got here is from uh, Tom L. He asks, why did Colby move down in the draft? Um, and I guess I'll reword that question of like, were you surprised at the point he fell to? I know you had him 20, but just from like what you had seen where other people had him ranked, um, were you shocked where he ended up going? Uh, I wouldn't say I was shocked. Cause like I said, I think 25 to 35 is sort of the perceived range I had for him where he'd go somewhere in there. And so 38, is not like a huge fall from that. Right. Like it's a, a couple of spots, but it's not nothing crazy. Um, I don't know why he did. I don't have the intel in terms of that. Um, I think everything was wacky last night in terms of how teams are valuing injuries and intel for other t- players, and everything was just sort of a mess. But um, I think with Colby, like it's not too far away from where his range was. I was a little surprised maybe, but I, I wouldn't go so far as shocked probably. Makes uh, sense. And... I think the last thing I want to ask you here, Stone, um, is just your brief thoughts on Jalen Slauson. Um, not somebody that I was familiar with, I will say. Uh, Fifth-year guy at Furman. And my basic overview is is somebody that has um, intrigue, again, to do a little bit of everything. Like The biggest thing to me is, oh, shit, there's weak side rim protection in Sacramento. has zero possibility of weak side rim protection anywhere else on the roster. Um, super raw, interesting athlete at his size, but only in like very specific ways. And, and once you're up here, correct me if any of this is wrong at all in your mind. Um, but like I thought vertic- vertically, he was a good athlete in the open court. He's a good athlete, but like rotating his hips, like if he's in some sort of like drop coverage or um, asked to be on some quicker guys that um, I didn't love his his speed and, and hips there, but um, where were you at with, with Slauson? And, um, you know, this is a guy that is older again, fifth year guy at Furman, but also somehow in my mind, um, from again, brief research, somebody that does have a decent amount of risk involved, which is the nature of where you're picking obviously at 54. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I mean, I had him just on my board. Uh, I don't have the exact like in front of me uh, number, but I, I know I had him as like a priority two way guy. So not too far off, right? I mean, usually 50 to 70 on my board. It's just guys that might get drafted, might be a two way. Um, he is, in my opinion, like the the verticality, you're right. He was someone that, I mean, primarily thrived off of the dunker spot. That's where he's getting the majority of his, his finishes from. Um, and I think that he did a pretty good job of that for Furman uh, this year, especially. He's done it in the years prior too. Um, I think in a lot of other ways outside of that, he's just a really slow and poor athlete, like rolling as a roller. Uh, he, he's pretty slow. Somebody that is not slow rotationally and recognizing things, but maybe a little slow to get there. Um, he's just not like super athletic by any means, but he is super long. Um, and he uses that especially defensively really, really well. That's like his bread and butter. It's just that he can get his hands on everything, uh, because he's got really good hands, but also, um, he's super long and, and sees things really quickly. Um, he can move with some fours well enough. Uh, but I think, He's definitely someone to me that is more of like a flyer rather than a, you know, I feel like this guy can make a rotation. Maybe he can, uh, and that would be great for the Kings, obviously. But he's not somebody I'm really like expecting that out of. Um, and I'm probably lower than a lot of people in terms of the three-point shooting with him. Uh, I think he had some good numbers this year on somewhat limited volume. But um, just overall, like the form is a little unconventional in terms of the load time and everything. And I, I don't love the touch outside of like what he does from the dunker spot, because most of the time those were just straight dunks. Um, he, he dunked at, a, I forget what the percentage was, but the majority of his uh, two point per two point field goals were just dunks rather than like actual finishes. Um, so I think that he is somebody that, uh, you know, it is going to be a little bit limited offensively. He can keep the ball moving. He's not like you give it to the post and you wait for him to, you know, back guys down a little bit. But um, overall, I think he's he just limited in terms of what he can give you on that end. And defensively, it's not enough to tip the scales for me to really see him as an NBA guy. Um, but he's someone, like I said, I would I would give it to a and see how it pans out. And seems like that's, you know, maybe how the Kings view him too. So, um that's where I ultimately fall down on him. Yeah. I'm going to leave that one to you. Uh, I got more work to do on, on Slauson for sure. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I don't, I know I'm not alone in this, but Trace Jackson Davis is somebody that I loved the idea of. And I think just duplicating sort of the Domas role and they had a backup five need. Um, I would have liked them just try to go in that direction, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens with Slauson, um, a little bit of over, um, sort of change some roles over there at Stockton and in, in three G league spots now. So it'll be interesting to see how Stockton looks next year. Um, but I think that's all I got for you stone. I, I guess you now I said this last time, but actually final question for you is, is there any teams that stand out to you throughout the draft process that you're looking at as, um, you think they're going to, they, they notably changed their, their future moving forward out, outside of the obvious at, at the top of the draft, more so thinking, you know, from, from Sacramento's perspective, like, is there any teams that after yesterday you're looking at in, in more so in the Western conference of like, okay, these guys got a lot better. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think 
because it does take me a couple of days to fully grasp, you know, everybody that I picked, yeah, who, who went where. Um, I mean, the Nuggets, I don't think, like, it was marginal improvements. They didn't have any high picks. I think it's hard to, to really significantly improve your standings when you're picking a bit lower, right? Like, unless, like, I think the Rockets got a lot better talent. I don't see them getting a whole lot better record wise this season. Um, what do you think of Dallas with Lively and um, Omax? Yeah, so I was lower on both of those guys, I think, than a lot of people. I still like Lively, and I think they, for me, it's a miscalculation for Dallas of drafting for fit rather than taking who else was available. Um, but we'll see how that turns out. Like, I think uh, Lively can be, pro- he's probably ultimately their best room protector now because they just, don't have that he's probably their best center um and omax is gonna fill a role because they just have zero front court guys i just think expecting out of rookies like that for them to come in and make an impact that really improves your record is a bit much for me um but i think they'll they'll, they're in a better position with their front court than they were last year so i'll leave it at that all right. Well, thanks for joining me, Stone. Um, again, everybody listening, Stone Hansen, co-host of the Upside Swings podcast, one of my favorite draft podcasts out there. Um, that's at report underscore court on Twitter as well. Um, any final thoughts or anything like that before we get out of here, Stone? Um, not really. Uh, I'm just, you know, appreciative of you having me on. Um, I always enjoy talking with you. Thanks again for, you know, listening to the podcast and, um, you know, hopefully this uh, this is an even better, more fun Kings team than, next, than last year. And that was already a high bar. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do this year. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I appreciate you and your content and taking the time out of your day. Um, Kobe Jones already tweeted hashtag beam team. So I think we're off to a decent start here. Um, we're going to see how this goes. I'm a, I'm a fan of Kobe Jones. I think a complimentary guy that can do a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. Um and say you're playing that Terrence Davis role with a guy that's a little bit more well-rounded and um, you're not going to know what you're getting right away. But I think eventually in time, um, once he gets comfortable in the NBA, that Kobe is more so that guy rather than a, you know, maybe one day you get a 30 ball from TD and then the other, he's still trying for 30, but you get about four. So uh, yeah, that that's sort he's of where I'm at with Kobe. Consistent Kobe. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's, it's going to be a, just a real steady head throughout the season. Which is needed for role players. And, and uh, again, high IQ guys that can play on both ends of the floor, I think is something that Sacramento really needs. Um, I roll my eyes at everybody comparing themselves to Denver and all of a sudden trying to be Denver, of course, because they just want to chip. But I think for Sacramento, there's decent correlations. And the smart role players of a, a KCP, Aaron Gordon, uh, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, like, you know, sort of KCP-ish for, for Kobe Jones here. So um, I like the pick. TBD, obviously, we're going to have to see how this all plays out. Um, But thanks again, Stone, for hopping on. And thanks to everybody for listening. Um, Definitely take a look at the Kings Herald. I'll have a profile up on on Kobe Jones here soon. And all the other great guys and gals are doing a lot of good work there as well. I think we're going to have a little bit of a um, cap rundown based on what happened in yesterday's deal in the first round, which is pretty substantial for Sacramento's offseason moving forward. So, Take a look at the Kings Herald and their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from me again next couple days.